This is Matthew Putman, and you're listening to Utility Function. My guest today is my friend Scott Aronson, a David Bruton Centennial Professor of Computer Science at the University of Texas at Austin, where he is also the director of its Quantum Information Center. Scott has shown both ability and interest in mathematics and computers for quite some time, teaching himself calculus at the age of 11, then learning computer programming at around the same time, a late bloomer, according to him. After postdoctorates at the Institute of Advanced Study and the University of Waterloo, Aronson took a faculty position at MIT where he taught electrical engineering and computer science for nine years. His research interests center around the capabilities and limits of quantum computers and generally computational complexity theory. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you do too. But thanks, Scott. Thanks for coming on. A pleasure. You know, I I remember we met in Puerto Rico. Oh, okay. Yeah, at FQXI conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the only time I've been to Puerto Rico. Is it right? Yeah. And and, and that island was basically destroyed by the hurricane after we were there, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. it's a strange thing, both going to a conference like that um, and doing it in Puerto Rico. And you think you're going to a, an exotic island, but it's basically a resort, a hotel resort on an island. And so, yeah. but it was re- it was really interesting. You've been involved with FQXI. Um, I have. I have. So, I mean, this is a physics, it's kind of a physics group, kind of mixing people of different um, backgrounds. What attracts you to doing something like that? I mean, how did we end up in the room together with different backgrounds? Why go to something like this? Uh, well, F- FQXI is very different from the normal conferences that I would go to, right? In in, in many ways. I mean, both you know the the uh, the people, the locations. Uh, but uh, you know, I guess I was invited by uh, Max Tegmark and the others when they started it in two thousand and seven. And it just sounded like fun. You know, it sounded like, uh, uh, you know, going to an interesting place. I think, you know, it was in Iceland. They had one uh, on, on a cruise, uh, you know, in Norway that went to the fjords. Uh, you know, they um, uh, they had one on in the Azores. Yeah, 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 that's right, in, in, in Tuscany. Uh, so, you know, you know, it was, it was you know, not, 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 not so easy to say no to a uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, people like uh, like Max Tegmark and Sean Carroll and uh, David Albert. I mean, you know, these are people I enjoy talking to. I mean, I don't think that I could. Uh, 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 my my personality is such that like I could not have a whole career just thinking only about you know the the deep questions of you know the 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 nature of physical laws, the nature of reality, right? I would just feel like uh, uh, you know I. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, had, had run aground or, you know, was getting stuck or not making enough progress. Uh, but, uh, you know, th- those are the sorts of things that sort of uh, uh, inspired me to get into math and science in the first place. Right. And so I so I enjoy them in moderation, you know, and like once every two years to go to a fun resort for, for a week where you just talk about, you know, the big questions with, you know, these amazing physicists and philosophers and, and, and so on. It's just, it's a fun opportunity. Uh, that, that, and that, that's, that, that's really all that I've treated it as. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that that's, that's the thing that what you're saying is this one conference. I mean, this is certainly not to be an ad for a specific conference, but in general, the idea of people from different disciplines, but that are partially, you know, theoretical, asking the big questions, mm -hmm. but are not narrowly defined within that, that silo of the university department mm -hmm. or as a corporate environment shouldn't be strange in our world now. And we look back with kind of romanticism about times of, of past, but we don't, I, I, it's hard to find those things now. Do you find in your life other places where, do you tend to spend time with people that don't do what you do? Well, I, I, I'm between a lot of different communities, right? And, I, and I'm used to that. I mean, you know, my day job is in quantum computing and information, right? That's already between different communities, most obviously between physics and computer science, right? Which, you know, maybe, you know, from far away, maybe it just seems like, oh, it's all just, you know, a bunch of nerds or something. But, you know, when you zoom in, you know, that physics and computer science are very different communities uh, with very different norms and, you know, quantum information just threw them together. Uh, you know, I also, um, you know, have some, uh, uh, you know, interests and connections in, in pure math. I mean, I, you know, and I'm interested in philosophy. I talk to philosophers. Uh, and, you know, even, you know, within quantum computing, I sort of started out maybe as far as you could possibly get on the theoretical side of the field. Right. But then over the last decade, I got interested in, you know, the quest to demonstrate quantum supremacy, you know, in an actual experiment. And that meant, you know, actually talking to the experimental teams, uh, you know, at, at Google and at elsewhere and elsewhere. And, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, and sometimes they would actually have questions for theorists, you know, after we build this chip, what do we do with it? That's interesting, you know, and uh, so. So I'm used to, you know, bridging different communities. Now, now with regard to your question, uh, you know, uh, like where, where do I go for sort of talk about, you know, big philosophical questions? Well, you know, I mean, there, there's FQXI, of course, and, and there's also the rationality community, right? There is, you know, uh, there was the, the Slate Star Codex community. You know, of course, I, I was very sad when Scott, you know, uh, Alexander took his blog down and, uh, like many of us, I, I hope that it will come back soon. Can you tell? Can, can you tell us a little bit about that, just so that our audience has a sense of? Yeah. Of what so, 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 Slate Star Codex is what I regarded as probably the best blog on the internet. I mean, definitely better than my blog, right? Mm. But uh, it it's a blog uh, written by a uh, psychiatrist who writes uh, uh, under the pen name Scott Alexander, uh, and you know he writes about you know, uh, pharmacology, psychiatry, which is which are his specialties, but also about philosophy, about politics, about social issues. Um, uh, he writes uh, some pretty amazing fiction. And he's always, you know, uh, 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 digging into data to an, you know, an incredible degree, writing very long posts where he's, you know, very publicly wrestling with the issues, very open to changing his mind. Uh, and he will talk to people on the far left and he will talk to people on the far right, you know, and he will so sort of genuinely engage with anyone hoping to learn something from them, you know, and that is something that has gotten him into hot water. And, you know, I think it's rare nowadays, but I think that it's incredibly valuable. And I wish there were more people like that. Just being able to 
update and change your mind is getting people into hot water. You're yes. saying yes. this is so, yes. so I mean, rare. We live, I mean, we, we, you know, we live, we live in, in an increasingly, you know, uh, 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 polarized, you know, era, right? I mean, I am, uh, uh, you know, sort of, you know, uh, from, from the standpoint of the whole world, you know, I am sort of more, more scared about, about the far right, you know, and, uh, you know, the way that it has taken power, you know, in the U.S. and many other countries, but, you know, within our little academic bubble, right, you know, the sort of, you know, you know, I, I feel like there's a feedback loop where, you know, the, the far right, you know, sort of, uh, 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 you know, instigates the, the, the far left to become, you know, let's say less and less liberal, you know, more, more and more intolerant of dissenting views, you know, which then stimulates the far right further, which stimulates the far left further, and so on. And, you know, Scott Alexander is an example of someone who really believes in sort of the, let's say, the traditional enlightenment ideal, you know, the liberal ideal of just, you know, having a reasoned discussion, you know, assuming good faith uh, on the part of everyone. And, and, and you know, and, and people like that, you know, Steven Pinker would be another good example, right, of, you know, become... Uh, in an increasingly uh, precarious and embattled position. Well, you know, it's there. There's a, a sort of personal thing that you. I, I never knew that I would become nostalgic for a time when I was either before I was born or very, when I was very young. Um, when you, you know, I watched like old newscasts of, you know, you know where there was actual discourse. I was watching some YouTube videos, like, you know, even just like, like an interview of Isaac Asimov, you know, from like, uh, on TV from 1980. And it is just like an order of magnitude deeper than anything you would see on TV today. Right. And, yeah, yeah. and it's, 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 uh, you know, addressing so many topics that, you know, maybe would, would get someone in hot water today. Right. And so, yeah, it's really, uh, you know, it's sad to think of what we've lost. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I mean, um, you know, I, I so I, I, I've enjoyed, you know, uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't really consider myself part of the rationality community. But, you know, I, I like to talk to anyone who is sort of, you know, talking, talking about interesting things. Right. And that's, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I feel like, um, you know, that like I, I, I so I sort of have that aspect, you know, or, or, you know, I also, uh, you know, when I visit the Bay, well, before COVID, you know, I used to visit the Bay Area and, uh, you know, meet with various Silicon Valley people who also wanted to have these sort of big picture conversations, right, you know, and then I, and then I have sort of my, my colleagues in my field, you know, maybe some of whom, you know, like to have the big picture conversations and others of whom, you know, maybe they just want to grouse about politics and then get back to research, you know, and right. that's fine too, because there's, yeah. there's also a part of me that just wants to talk about research. Right. And I think that's, I mean, it's hard to tell what is big picture and small picture. Yeah. So if, if you are a theoretical physicist and you're yeah. talking about going from the Big Bang to, you know, to in, in talking about infinities. And talk, yeah, that's right. Politics of today, no matter how extreme, would be the small picture. In fact, yeah, our yeah. Solar system would be the a small thing, right? Like that's, all right. Of these, that's right. That's right. When you're dealing with, you know, actual, you know, let's say, let's say, with working researchers, you know, often what will interest them, you know, is not, you know, 
uh, what caused the Big Bang, but it's, you know, how do we uh, uh, improve this theorem to get rid of the log of n factor, right? You know, right. So it doesn't, you know, it, you know, on its face, it might look like a very, very small and esoteric question. But the good part is that you then actually make actual progress on that question. You know, right. you, you learn something, you move forward, right? And, right. You know, and you add you add one more brick to this structure that, you know, over time, you know, really does become something enormous and amazing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting yeah. on the super local level of what mm-hmm. happened at the Republican National Convention today versus over the time span of your life or over a few generations. Certainly the important thing is not what happens at the Republican convention today mm-hmm. uh, but your work specifically mm-hmm. is you know really interesting to this because it's you know it's hard to find peers for you you're you kind of work in a different um in a in a different um space of theoretical work that may or may not have practical implications at any given moment i'd love to i'd love to dig dig a little d- deeper to that so we could talk about whether that has to do with consciousness or whether that, but you're, you're kind of, um, can you, can you explain just briefly for, for anybody listening to this, what, what sort of being a collector in, in, uh, in polynomial space? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm a theoretical computer scientist. Right now, you know, this is a field, uh, you know, with, you know, maybe a thousand or so people working in it, you know, around the world. So it's a, uh, uh, um, you know, it was it was it was around before I was born. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it is uh, responsible for, you know, a bunch of innovations that, you know, probably any of your listeners have heard of and that really have impacted their lives. You know, most famously, uh, public key encryption. Right. And, uh, uh, um, you know, the the discovery of uh, of NP completeness, you know, of uh, P and NP that sort of helped understand the border between, you know, what problems we can reasonably solve, you know, solve in reasonable amounts of time with our computers, you know, using, uh, uh, you know, at least using any of the ideas that we know and, and which ones we can't. And, uh, you know, part of what the doing, theory, by the yeah. way, is, am I right to say part of what you're doing is trying to figure out which are actually things they can or can't without yeah. even getting yeah. the point. So, 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 so the, the, theoretical, theoretical computer science is basically just, you know, math, you know, applied to understanding computation, you know, understanding what you can and cannot do, in, you know, with co- different types of computers you know, and and uh, and what kind of resources you need to do them with. So you could say that this field really started with Alan Turing in the 1930s, right? When he, you know, said, "Here is a mathematical model, you know, of a machine, which you know that became known as the Turing machine, right? And here are a lot of things that it can do. You know, there is a universal machine that can simulate any other machine if you just give it a, a description uh, on its input of what you'd like it to do." But there are also things that no Turing machine can do, um, you know, such as decide whether another Turing machine will ever halt. Okay? And uh, so that uh, that was sort of the beginning of uh, what we call the theory of computability. Okay? And uh, in the in the 60s um, or so, you know, a major change happened 
when people realize that it, uh, what matters is not just whether something is computable or not computable, but uh, uh, what resources you need to compute it, right? If something is computable, but it would take you much longer than the age of the universe, you know, then, um, you know, you could say the fact that it's computable is, uh, uh, you know, is, 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 is of less interest to us uh, here on Earth. And uh, it was what, what, what was discovered was that there is a beautiful theory uh, uh, to to try to you know delineate what is feasibly computable uh, from what is not feasibly computable, and the key is sort of to focus on the scaling behavior of algorithms. So the key is to focus on as your input gets bigger and bigger. Like let's say we're talking about programs to decide whether a given number is prime or composite, right? Then. Uh, and, you know, uh, we could just say, well, how many seconds does the program take when we run it on your laptop? But, you know, that's going to depend on all kinds of things that we, we don't care about too much. Like, you know, what model of laptop do you have? And, you know, how uh, uh, how good was the programmer at, at you know, avoiding uh, uh, um, uh, at, at avoiding cash misses. Right. And, and so so, you know, we if we're really concerned about sort of the fundamentals of this problem, you know, is. Uh, 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 fat, is, is primality testing an easy or a hard problem? And what we really care about is as you were asked about larger and larger numbers, does the number of steps that you need uh, to answer the question increase, let's say, uh, 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 polynomially with the, with the uh, uh, size of the number, like, you know, like the number of bits of the number squared or to the third power? Or does it increase exponentially with the size of the number, right? And if exponential, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, exponential, you know, you can handle a number up to a certain size. I mean, in fact, you know, for for factoring a number into primes, the best algorithm that we know with any uh, conventional computer, classical computer, uh, uses time that grows exponentially uh, with the cube root of the length of the number. Okay, and what this means is that people can factor numbers of, you know, up to, uh, you know, maybe a thousand, you know, probably the NSA can factor numbers of a thousand bits, but, you know, 2000 bits, uh, almost certainly not, you know, uh, unless they have some major advance that we don't know about. Of course, this is something that people care about because uh, almost all of the encryption that we use to protect the internet uh, uh, would be broken if you had fast algorithms for, uh, factoring numbers and solving a few other related problems. Okay. And uh, now this, this, uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the story became even uh, uh, more interesting uh, a quarter century ago when um, uh, Peter Shore discovered that if you could build a quantum computer, then uh, there would be a fast way to factor numbers into, into, into their prime factors. Okay. A way, where the number of steps would grow only uh, approximately with the square of the length of the number. Okay, so uh, so Shore gave evidence that there are problems, you know, just purely classical problems, have nothing to do with quantum mechanics, but a quantum computer could solve them in polynomial time with polynomial scaling, but a classical computer could not. Okay, and so uh, so I'm a you know a quantum computing theorist. And so most of what we study is, you know, is questions like that, sort of what is the boundary of what a quantum computer can efficiently do? Is, How does is it, this, yeah. 
Is that, I mean, is that what is interesting to you or not, though? I mean, if you're looking at well, those, sure, make something yeah. that would exponent, in exponential space, something that is potentially polynomial, uh, which is factoring, of, uh, which then has implications in encryption, mm-hmm. things yeah. like this. Well, well, I mean, I mean, certainly, I mean, I mean, I think it's one of the most interesting things that happened in science in the last thirty years. Now, of course, computing, though. Yeah, yeah. Now, 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 of course, you know, that's something that already happened, and you know, typically, you know, we will teach that to our students, but then what we're really thinking about are, you know, the next questions, the ones that we don't know the answers to. (laughs) I mean, well, okay. As as a theoretician, you know that that is true in any pragmatic sense we don't yet know how to do it is that correct well i mean i mean it, 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 it it's a question of what you mean by 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 knowing how to do something it's like i would say you know i personally would say that we we know how to build a quantum computer in more or less the same sense that we know how to send humans to mars right it's uh, you know no one has done it it is, you know, yet, uh, you know, it will likely be super expensive, but um, everything that we have discovered, you know, so far tends to the view that there is no obstacle of fundamental physics. Here. So there's no new science there. It's only well, I mean, I mean there, there's new science in figuring right. out how to make it work, right? But you know, there, if, if let, let, let me put it this way, if there is a deep principle of physics that some will somehow prevent a scalable quantum computer uh, from working. That is way more surprising than if there is no such principle and if it just works like the theory says it does, right? And so, you know, I I, I should let me try to emphasize to you that you know, compared to what many theoretical computer scientists do, this is way closer to sort of practical relevance than you know, than what you know. A lot of my colleagues do, or or what I myself do in my, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a part of the time, right? I mean, I mean, quantum computers. There is a, you know, an uh, there there is an actual chance that we will see them, you know, become useful within our lifetimes, right? You know, it, you know, uh, um, and, and and that they will have an impact on society, right? Uh, uh, you know, there are you know there are lots of things that are sort of maybe as theoretically interesting as quantum computing, you know, uh, you know, for which, you know, uh, one, one, one would not make the same claim. Right. 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 I mean, what, what's, <laughs> you know, there's so much to explore with quantum computing and yeah. all this, but what made me think about what just came to mind was thinking about where theor- theoreticians and technologists and then to, maybe pragmatism or solving problems exists. I think about Ooh. Claude Shannon working at Bell Labs. Yes. Right? So, I mean, Claude Shannon must have, so that's like, while, while we're not, it's almost maybe the opposite of dealing with quant, uh, you know, quantum in a, a sense, but information theory, who is a pretty pure theorist working in a technological environment, which mm-hmm. was, a research lab. Would you, would you say that we are at a, a, a similar point? Are you, do, do you relate to where we are now moving to the next stage of from from information to physics uh, for a new era as, as Shannon would have in those um, days? Well, I mean, I think, you know, Sh- Shannon, along with Turing, was, you know, one of the giants of, you know, of, of, uh, of, of information theory, of uh, theoretical computer science. Uh, uh, 
Um, you know, and, and he was at Bell Labs, so he was someone who was very consciously bridging, you know, uh, uh, math and engineering, right? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he was not, you know, I mean, he, he, I mean, he was a very sh- strong, pure mathematician, but, you know, he, you know, he, he's, you know, his, his impact on, on the world, you know, is because he, he did think about, you know, basic mathematical questions that arose from, communication networks, like the ones that, that Bell Labs was building. I should mention that, you know, I actually, my first job was I was a, a summer student at Bell Labs for four summers, actually, in the, in the 90s. Um, you know, it, 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 it's sort of a shame that, but, you know, Bell Labs is not what it used to be. Not what it used but, to be. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but, you know, by the way, the two most important quantum algorithms, you know, Shor's algorithm for factoring that I just talked about, and Grover's algorithm for searching, both of them were discovered at Bell Labs, you know, within, within, within a year of each other, right? So, I mean, Bell Labs has just had an unbelievable track record in terms of, you know, bridging basic science and, and technology. And I'm sure that, you know, any of, um, you know, all, all of the big companies today that do basic research, whether that's, you know, Google, Microsoft, IBM, right, they're all in the shadow of that. Grossly wrong that we have forgotten that we actually want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that Google or Microsoft would mm-hmm. like to create another Bell Labs. Yeah. You know, well, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I think that, you know, if they could, if they could have one, you know, uh, uh, like if, if someone just offered it to them for free, they would take it. Right. But I mean, you know, to actually make the gigantic investment to, you know, build something up at the scale of, I mean, you know, they, 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 they all, um, all of them do have very strong basic research. You know, I would say, you know, it is, you know, maybe not comparable to what Bell Labs was in its heyday, right? But or the research, though, is not, it, it, you know, I think that mm-hmm. their, their research, while it may be um, fundamental in some way, you may have a group at Microsoft or Google that are doing fundamental research, or even the next step would be doing something that is very technologically interesting that they still don't plan on bringing to market. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's still somehow you're what you work in the university, right? I now, do. You know? And, and I can't imagine why you, why you would be attracted by, you know, modern corporate research department. Well, you know, so, so, I mean, I, I've, I've thought about it, you know, I'm not opposed in principle to working at a company. I have, you know, I have wonderful friends who work at, you know, corporate research places or who move back and forth between corporate research and academia. And, you know, and certainly, you know, I look to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, if, 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 if my students are able to get, you know, uh, careers at, you know, or internships at IBM or Google or Microsoft, then I'm super happy for them. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, one one issue for me is just that, you know, I, uh, I I place enormous value on on being able to speak freely, being able to write things on my blog that, you know, uh, uh, you know, might uh, uh, go against what my employer thinks, you know, that might offend someone, you know, that, you know, that because, you know, I think that it's true. Right. And uh, if uh, I worked at a company, it's not clear that I would have the same kind of freedom, you know, on my blog as, as, as I have now. So that right. that is something that I think about. I mean, you know, but I'm, I'm navigating this like uh, like many others are. I mean, 
Um, um, I would say that quantum the, the field of quantum computing has very, very noticeably changed, you know, since I joined it, you know, around, you know, the year 2000, right? Back then, it was really just an academic enterprise, right? Everybody and, was a theorist. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I mean, there, there were, you know, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, IBM and Microsoft and so on were already getting involved, but they were basically just, you know, academics who just happened to work for, at a company, Right. And, you know, no, um, and then, um, you know, and then, you know, the, uh, the, this uh, startup company, D-Wave, you know, came along that said, oh, we can already build commercial quantum computers. They're already useful. We're already going to sell them to, to customers. You know, but then, you know, I would say, you know, most of us in quantum computing, you know, uh, uh, we're extremely skeptical of that for, I think, very good reasons. Right. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, so, so, but, but they were sort of, they part of why they attracted so much interest from the press and from investors and so on is that, you know, where that sort of, they were the only ones out there making these sorts of claims because, you know, I would say sort of everyone else kind of knew that the technology was, wasn't ready. Right. Right. And, you know, but, but within the last, you know, seven or eight years, things have really changed because now, you know, finally we have qubits that are not where they need to be. But, you know, that are, you know, thousands of times better than they were, let's say, when we, when I joined this field 20 years ago, right? They, yeah, no, and, um, you have silicon photonics and you yeah. have superconducting qubit. You have yeah. all of these things that are actually... Yeah, you know, it's now possible. I mean, I mean, when, like, you know, in, in 2000, people were just happy if they could get one or two, you know, qubits to work, you know, doing like one operation, right? And And now... You know, we're talking about 50 qubits, 70 qubits, you know, integrated in a programmable chip doing, you know, 20 or so layers of operations. You know, now that's not good enough for the useful applications that we really envision or for, you know, the great majority of them. But, you know, Google just this fall did, you know, the first demonstration of quantum supremacy, which basically just means showing that they could do some contrived benchmark. Uh, much faster than we think that you could do the same thing with a classical computer. Did this quantum supremacy, did, did it mean anything to you or was it just, so I had this, I had this thought, again, quantum supremacy was interesting to me for only a very small reason. And that um, certainly quantum computing is enormously interesting to me, but quantum supremacy was you can no longer argue that there, that, First of all, you could no longer argue that quantum mechanics doesn't exist. But no, you know, yeah, I think that's been the case for a while. But yeah, no, I'm not sure. We both know people that. that yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But I mean, look, you had you had. Let me put it this way: you had Stephen Wolfram on your show, right? Yeah. Wolf, yes. I mean, Wolfram, you know, believes that you know quantum computing will not be possible. You know, or uh, you know, I, I've never been clear on exactly. Uh, uh, why he thinks that. I mean, he has these classical models, but he thinks that they can reproduce all, all sorts of other quantum phenomena. So if so, then why not quantum computing as well? But, you know, that that's what he thinks. I mean, um, um, Gerard and Hooft, you know, uh, Bob Laughlin, right? These are, you know, uh, very renowned physicists. You know, they have said that quantum computing will be impossible. And, uh, you know, and, and some very distinguished computer scientists have said, yeah, right? right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and like I said, I, I think, we, you know, we, we, we shouldn't dismiss that possibility out of hand. They could be right. 
the part I want to stress is just that if they're right, that is a revolution in our understanding of physics. That is a well, huge deal. I mean, if, if they're right. For quantum computing to be possible is the more conservative possibility. It's the well, more exactly. possibility. So my, my colleague who worked with me, um, who worked at Microsoft Research just before mm-hmm. he came to work here two weeks ago, mm-hmm. who and you both know, said, uh, said when, I, when I said I was interviewing, he said, you, he said, well, you know, the thing that Scott must know is that if quantum computing isn't the thing, mm-hmm. the other thing is an on-off switch for the whole universe. It's like actually much scarier than quantum well, computing. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, look, if there is some deep principle that sort of censors this, this, this exponentiality that prevents you from harnessing this whole, you know, wave function to solve a computational problem, then that is a major piece of our understanding of the universe that we're currently missing. So let's find that out, right? That is revolutionary, right? right? But, but, you know, but I think either way, you know, it's just like with building the Large Hadron Collider, right? I mean, the physicists were pretty damn sure that the Higgs boson was going to be there. But even so, you want to, you know, until you found it, you know, people are still going to argue about it, right? And so right. you want to confirm that the thing is there. Yeah, it's very similar <laughs> right. in a way. I remember yeah. trying to explain to friends that didn't work in science mm. why it was disappointing to so many people and so many of us that, that it was discovered. Mm. <laughs> that we found it. it was just like, what else could there have been? What, what, what the universe could have been? Now it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, the the, 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 the point is, I mean, I mean, sometimes you know, even right. I mean, I mean, I mean, even 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 when you're ninety nine percent sure of various things, right? If you know, if you chain together enough things that you're ninety nine percent sure of, then the probabilities multiply, right? And there's a right. chance you've made a mistake somewhere, right? So if you can change one of those ninety nine percent to ninety nine point nine nine percent, you know, that's that's sometimes a big deal. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I, Certainly, somebody who is not a the- you know, I, 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 I'm a applied physicist, a material scientist by mm-hmm. by training. I, I experiment in a very, very, you know, lab experimental way, and you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you seek something, and you, yeah. kind, you know, and and you know that if you've really made a discovery, it's sort of not gone exactly where you wanted, but that's it may right. go in and that's the exciting thing. I do that with improvisational jazz too. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, but you you do these you, you do these things. But in your life, have you found that happen ever? Like, have you have you had that time of the great surprise where you were certain that you were you were going to either categorize something you were you, you were going to understand something that's gone in a different direction? Yeah, and it's been the great. It, I mean, in in in, 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 the, in theoretical computer science, those surprises happen all the time. You know, I've I've been wrong more times than I can count. Uh, What's a fun? Well, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, the, like a uh, you know the, the various technical questions, like the you know the, the like what is the biggest quantum speed up that you ever get for a Boolean function, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know, we knew that like if if you're trying to compute the logical OR of n bits. Then you know. The, then the, there's this Grover's algorithm, which I mentioned before, is one of the two most important quantum algorithms, and it can compute the OR of n bits in only about the square root of n steps. Okay. Whereas classically, of course, you'd need about n steps. You know, in the in the worst case. So so it gets a quadratic advantage. Okay. Uh, but 
we, we didn't know of any Boolean function where a quantum algorithm gives better than a quadratic advantage, right? Quantum computers do give exponential advantages, but uh, for, for things like uh, uh, finding the period of a periodic function, which is the heart of Shor's factoring algorithm, where you have to assume that in advance that the, your, the function is periodic, right? So that, that's, not like, that's not quite a Boolean function, right? It, it involves an assumption about the structure of the input, okay? So, 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 so there was a question of how, just how big of an advantage can a quantum computer get for an unstructured problem, you know, a, a Boolean function. And um, it was proved right around when I entered the field, 1998, uh, that, that the quantum speed up could be at most by a power of six, okay? So, so we knew that the right answer was some exponent that's at least two and at most six, right? And right. that's, you know, one of the problems that motivated me the most as a student. I just, I really wanted to nail that one. And like most others, I was certain that two, should, I was nearly certain that the right answer should be two. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, what else are you going to do in this situation besides Grover's algorithm? Right. And, you know, we knew that this six was just kind of a technical artifact of the, the proof. And, you know, so we, we worked on lowering this six to a two. We couldn't do it. Okay. So long story short, just a few years ago, I had a student named the Shalev Ben-David Building on some earlier advances, he managed to construct a Boolean function where there's a uh, uh, there, there's an exponent of two and a half separation between the uh, uh, the, the n- number of queries that you need with a classical and a quantum com- uh, algorithm to solve it. Um, and then there was a major advance in combinatorics called the uh, uh, called the uh, proof of the something called the sensitivity conjecture. So here's another surprise. I had worked on this sensitivity conjecture. I had thought that the proof is going to, you know, it's going to, you know, need some very, very advanced math. You know, so it turns out, you know, the conjecture was true. At least we were right about that part. Okay. The proof is about half a page long. Okay. It was found by a guy named Hao Huang. You know, it's amazingly creative, but, you know, it's like any expert in the area, they can read the proof in 15 minutes you know, bang their head on the desk for, you know, having missed it, right? For, you know, for all, for, 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 you know, it was missed for about 30 years, this, this simple proof. Okay, but now building on um, uh, 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 Huang's solution to the sensitivity conjecture, uh, recently, you know, a, a group of people, and I was sort of peripherally involved with this, uh, managed to lower the maximum exponent of the quantum advantage for, for a Boolean function from that six uh, down to four. Okay. So now it's between two and a half and four. And then just like literally last week, a paper came out where they, they showed that there's a third power separation. So now it's between three and four is the answer. Okay. But you know, it's just, it's just one example of many of some, you know, something that I was wrong about. Uh, and, you know, the thing with theoretical computer science is, you know, you, Know, no matter how plausible you know your conjecture might be, right? It could only take one new algorithm to break it. Right. 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 And so, um, so we're so we're, we're I would say we're very used to surprises, you know. And you know, I like like I I I, I believe that p is not equal to n p, you know. Like, uh, but you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going <laughs> to not I'm not going to put a hundred percent certainty even on that. And even even assuming. That? That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think even a, you know, 
I'm, I'm not going to put more than like 97% confidence on P not equaling NP, okay? But, you know, in even assuming that they're indeed not equal, you know, I'm certain that there's going to be a lot of surprises along the way to proving that. You know, I, I find it's, it's sort of interesting once, I mean, and I guess it's the idea of theory or the idea of experiment is once you picture a technology being available, and I mean, if you look at whether it's people thinking about what a computer is or thinking about what information, thinking about what that, that tool might be used to solve something, even if that tool does not exist. This is kind of the world that you exist in. Right? Mm-hmm. So that tool may or may not. So if that tool exists, what would be, how would you, what would it teach you? What would you be able to use that tool for? And I mean, Turing is a great example of this, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. you can find it with Turing for a number of things, whether yeah. it's, you know, being Turing complete, like you said, for different things, or, mm-hmm. or whether it's a Turing machine for testing, uh, you know, a, a, a artificial mm-hmm. intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, these kind of things happen with the type of thought experiment at, that involves not uh, that involve this is a different kind of thought experiment than traveling the speed of light mm. it's the kind of thought experiment of being able to build a machine to see if that machine can do the mm. thing that you want i i kind of feel that i i mean the halting problem for mm. instance mm-hmm. is interesting for me in this the sub- solution to this is not necessarily that it is um not possible for machines, right? I mean, this is, it, it becomes, how do you build a machine that can deal with the halting problem? Is that right? Well, I mean, I mean, once you, it's true that once you know that something is not possible in a certain model of computation, like there is no Turing machine that solves the halting problem on an arbitrary input, uh, you know, which is just a, a theorem, right? Then, you know, uh, that, 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 that's sort of only the beginning of, of the journey oftentimes because, you know, the, now the next question we could ask is, well, you know, are, are, are there big special cases where we can solve the halting problem, right? Do those special cases even encompass most of what we would care about in practice, Right. right. And, you know, so so, you know, and, and like uh, in in um, computational complexity, right, once you know that a problem is NP complete, right, that's just the beginning of the journey. And then the next you want to know, well, what if I only want an approximate solution? Right. Then how, yeah. how good an approx can I get a good approximate solution in polynomial time? So, you know, my wife, Donna Moshkovitz, that's her main research area. Right. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Like showing, you know, which, so sometimes the answer is that the pro- problem is. NP hard, even to get a good approximation. And uh, she's an expert on, you know, proving theorems of that kind. Okay. Uh, you know, other times, you know, you can get a good approximation in polynomial time, even though not, not the exact answer. Um, there's now a whole theory of that. Okay. Or you ask, oh, well, what about for a random input? You know, can I at least get the right answer quickly for most inputs? Uh, so there's lots of, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, and, and you know, just about every further question that you could imagine asking, there is a branch of theoretical computer science that studies it, right? So, uh, um, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I mean, I would say that you know, com- like like uh, in, in in thinking about future technologies, you know, theoretical computer science is a little bit special, just because you know it is a- a- at the core it is math, right? And you know, the like the, the mathematical foundations of quantum mechanics 
have not changed since 1926, right? They have just, they've been in place well, since then, right? Never changed, but well, yeah. The, the, well, yeah, 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 no, I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the, uh, 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 no one has ever discovered, you know, any uh, uh, phenomenon in nature, you know, that is not described, you know, in the manner that, that Schrodinger wrote down in 1926, you know, at least if we're talking about sort of isolated systems, if we're not, you know, uh, worrying about, you know, uh, our own consciousness and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But, um, um, so, so we sort of, you know, even before having a, uh, useful quantum computers, we're perfectly well able to write down, you know, a mathematical theory of, you know, what a quantum computer would be. In fact, you know, there's a big irony, which is that, you know, we, you could say, you know, we are much more, uh, we have much greater clarity about, where the quantum computers will eventually be, you know, in, you know, oh, yeah. however many decades or centuries than we have about where they are right now. Okay. Well, because the yeah. machines that we have right now, you know, they have all kinds of noise and, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, and, and it becomes complicated to understand because you want to actually factor in the limitations of the current technology. Right. But, you know, but all the different proposals, you know, like trapped ions and photonics and superconducting qubits, they're all sort of aiming at toward the same endpoint, which is an endpoint that we can, you know, people theoretically characterize decades ago, right? And, you know, where we can, you know, and in some sense, it is simpler to do the theory of sort of the ultimate eventual quantum computer than it is to do the theory of the noisy quantum computers that, oh, yeah, yeah. that, are, that are now available. That, that's really interesting, and yeah. I never thought about this. But it was—it's—it's it's almost. So I don't, I don't I don't know when 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 was Schrodinger and Heisenberg nineteen twenty seven or something? Yeah, I mean around them. So yeah, when was Copenhagen? But it's something. Yeah. You know, in a way, quantum computing had all that you know that was being thought of even before computers, right? Well, so. In a way, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's an interesting historical fact that, you know, I mean, I mean, they were in the 20s, Turing was in the 30s. Um, no one really, you know, explicitly articulated the idea of a quantum computer, I would say, until around the 70s and the early 80s. Right, but there would have been no way to show it, right? No, this I is mean, I mean it, it could have just been a quirk of history. I mean, it could have, I mean, I mean, John, I mean, John von Neumann was exactly at this intersection, Right. And, you know, and the, the question has often been asked, like, why didn't he, you know, uh, think about it? He may have just died too young. He may have, you know, he died in 1957. He may have just not have, not have had time to get around to it. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. But, That's... but, but I mean, an, another theory is that, you know, one of the, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean you know, you know all, like all of these people talk to each other. Turing was deeply interested in the foundations of quantum mechanics. Okay. Uh, he, uh, uh uh, he he read all about it, but you know the I, I, maybe the big okay. So so the, there's a there's a couple things. One is that you know while classical computers either didn't exist or were you know still being developed, you could say you know there was like uh, you know people had their hands full with that, right? It may have it may it may have just felt premature to like rush ahead to to quantum computing before classical computing was well established. But the other thing is that you know and if you look at these. Um, uh, thinkers like, uh, you know, Shannon, uh, Turing, uh, von Neumann, you know, in the uh, uh, 
you know, uh, um, 40s, the 50s, you know, as prescient as they were, you know, they did not have a modern conception of asymptotic complexity, of sort of polynomial versus exponential complexity being a really key distinction. And until you have that, then the idea of a quantum computer, I think it's not going to seem that natural to you. Oh, okay. So that's the, I, I, okay. I don't know. These are just, these are, these are, Normally thought so. Where I was thinking, yeah. where I was yeah, going yeah. with this, was that maybe when quantum, when quantum mechanics was discovered mm-hmm. or formalized, mm-hmm. or what we might say about mm-hmm. where we get into the idea of, of what was there to be discovered or to create, mm-hmm. but it uh, was actually, you know, by its very nature, you had to figure out something that allowed it to be experimented with, even if you didn't know computation in any mm-hmm. modern sense. Mm-hmm. But but somebody like Shannon and dealing mm-hmm. with information theory that Shannon was, that was, that actually came out of nothing in a sense, right? Like dealing with a bit at the time, dealing with a qubit made sense from a physical standpoint in a different way mm-hmm. than dealing with information did. Mm-hmm. Like, could have actually skipped a step. Now, yeah. maybe not yeah. I, skipped I, a step. I, I, should, I, I, would, I would love for a historian of science to do their PhD thesis on this, right? On on, yeah. on, like, on, on a, how this history played out and, and could it have played out differently? I think it's a fascinating question. But I mean, I should say that a lot of the more mainstream, you know, physicists sort of poke fun, poke fun at us in quantum information, or at least they used to or just, you know, rediscovering a lot of stuff that they already knew and just giving it new names. I mean, you know, as the, yeah. simplest, as the simplest example, what we call a qubit is simply what, you know, uh, Richard Feynman and all the other physicists of, you know, that generation would have known as a spin one half particle, right? Uh-huh. But, you know, but, but you know, already that change in terminology is sort of uh, pointing to something, which is that we're now thinking about it more abstractly, right? We don't care if it's a particle anymore, right? We don't care if its state is being stored in a spin or in some other degree of freedom, right? We care about it only, you know, in its uh, only sort of in its information theoretic aspect, right? And that then leads you to ask a whole bunch of new questions, you know, that that maybe the earlier generation of physicists were not asking. You know, what protocols can you do with qubits? How many qubits do you need? Right. Uh, uh, how many operations do you need to do on the qubits? Right. You know, and, and uh, uh, so uh, in some sense, you know, we are using, you know, the same theory that, that generations of physicists have known. Not only that, but we're using what they would regard as only just like a little, a tiny little subset of that theory. Right. We're not using quantum field theory for the most part. You know, we're not, you know, we're, 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 we're you know, we don't need sort of a massive amount of, you know, this incredibly sophisticated, you know, tools that they develop to understand how electrons and photons and quarks work. Okay. But, you know, we're sort of going back to the very basics of the theory, just, you know, finite numbers of qubits, what we call a finite dimensional Hilbert space. And we're now asking a different set of questions about it. The kind of questions that would come naturally to computer science or to information theory. Yeah. I mean, such an interesting important way of doing science that is i think missing in theoretical physics right now but that's just my i you know, well, I, I, I mean, I, I, mean think... I should i should say that you know that that uh you know i mean i mean maybe 20 years ago this was like a 
totally different enterprise from like high energy particle physics. Now the two fields have more and more come together and merged. So uh, there is this effort called It From Qubit uh, that was uh, spearheaded largely by Lenny Susskind, who, you know, Lenny Susskind is, uh, is like 80 years old. He was involved in founding string theory, right, in the 60s. He was involved in, you know, the, uh, um, um, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, starting the idea of black hole complementarity, you know, in the 90s. But, you know, he, you know, but but he is always looking for, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, he's, he's you know, whatever he's working on now is the most exciting thing in the universe. And, you know, and, and none of the previous stuff matters, right, is right. how he is, right? And, and for the last 10 years, he has been you know, gung-ho about, about uh, qubits and quantum circuits and complexity is the language in which physics should, you know, ought to be written. And that this is the language that will, you know, really give you insight about uh, the, you know, Hawking's uh, black hole information paradox, uh, about uh, this, you know, ADS-CFT correspondence that came out of string theory, you know, so basically about, you know, these questions of quantum gravity you know, he's saying, you know, they're ultimately information theoretic in character, right? You're trying to understand, like, how can information get out of a black hole, right? And, you know, he's saying this is, this is ultimately a question about qubits, about quantum circuits, you know, even a question about quantum complexity. And uh, that point of view, I think, you know, was fringe, you know, a decade ago. You know, it's become more and more mainstream uh, for, you know, a variety of reasons. But I've... Um, you know, uh, um, uh, it's been gratifying for me to, you know, sort of be, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess sort of on the fringes of that uh, uh, change. You know, I, I just sort of make myself available as a computer science consultant to the, you know, the people who are who are who are, who are, who are making these connections. Uh, but um, uh, you know, but I, I would say that there 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 is you know an, an increasing recognition that that quantum computing and information is actually a very powerful language. You know, it's not just a proposed technology. It's a way of thinking about quantum mechanics itself. And it's a way of thinking that's useful if you care about condensed matter physics, you know, if you care about quantum chemistry, or even if you care about quantum gravity and about, uh, 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 um, about you know, the, the uh, quantum mechanics of black holes. Okay, and you know, yeah. and it's been it's been very gratifying to see that point of view become more and more accepted. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's extremely exciting to me because I've been, I always um, I I don't know if it was frustration in the theoretical mm -hmm. physics community or frustration in me looking at the theoretical physics community. Well, I mean, you should you know have, I mean have a little sympathy for them. I mean, they are victims of their own unbelievable past success. Oh my god! <laughs> frustration. I mean, I, I mean, they were anything up yeah yeah I, yeah, yeah. I mean, frustration yeah, it is, the state yeah. of the field had come but when i when i look at this it's in yeah there, there seemed to be this sort of swaying away from the idea of sort of paparian of yeah. you know the, this demarcation of the oh my god because it, it, it did start to feel very philosophical to me and like the what yeah you know, i interviewed Ann carol and that was an argument mm -hmm. we got mm -hmm. in it mm -hmm. You know, he yeah. wanted to get rid of falsification and this yeah. sort of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I... I, I uh, dig where you're coming from. But at the same time, the the very proposal of quantum computing is could potentially be the idea of grounding um, theoretical science again into the realm of falsification. 
Well, I mean, I mean, it's true that with a you know with quantum computing, we are much more connected to you know experiments that can be done in the in the near term than than right. let's say you know the the quantum gravity theorists are. You know, right. take one example, right? I mean, you know, you know, you know, we're you know we can actually now do these quantum supremacy experiments. You know, within the next decade, we might start to see actually useful quantum computers. You know, on the other hand, other people might retort. Well, you know, we're not really testing new physics, right? We're testing old physics. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it depends how you define it. You could also say that, you know, we are testing, you know, old physics, namely the quantum mechanics of the 1920s, but we're testing it in an entirely new regime, right? In you know, a regime where, you know, uh, uh, you know, you are trying to actually harness hundreds or thousands of qubits into a programmable computer. Ask more questions than we're that's asking. Right. That's right. That's right. And, you know, of, of, of course, you know, I, you know, there is some fundamental science here because we want to make sure that nothing goes wrong, that we, you know, uh, weren't expecting and that quantum mechanics does indeed work the way that we thought it did in this new regime. But there's also once you build a new technological artifact and you can use it to answer more questions, there's now. Uh, you know, a research push to think about, like, what are the questions in fundamental physics, you know, in high energy physics, that where you could learn something new by doing a simulation on, you know, on a quantum computer, even, you know, potentially a relatively small quantum computer, right? So, I mean, that's another thing that that that, 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 that could happen. But, I mean, you know, with, with, with regard to, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's true that you know, uh, uh, some of the major figures in 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 our field in quantum computing and information actually started their careers in particle physics, you know, and then switched, you know, maybe you know just because uh, uh, you know uh, um, you know they, they found that there was more low hanging fruit in, in quantum computing. I mean, some famous examples would be you know John Preskill um, um, at Caltech, uh, Ed Farhi at MIT. Uh, uh, Ray Laflamme and uh, in, in Waterloo, um, so you know, so 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 there is sort of some movement in that direction. But I, you know, I I sort of you know, look, I I I, I, uh, uh, I I'm a big fan of high energy physics. I wish it the best. I wanted to continue awesome. to make big discoveries. I I certainly don't think that it should give up on the ideal of falsifiability, right? But yeah, you know, I, mean, I think that I think that the truth is just that. You know, to improve on the standard model is just ridiculously hard, right? And you know, if like, if, for example, if the Large Hadron Collider had discovered superparticles, right, then you wouldn't hear anyone talking about, oh, we need to retire falsifiability, right? They would just be rushing to to understand the new things that were found, right? It's just, right. you know, uh, okay, when when you have a theory that works so well that you know it might take decades before you find anything, you know, new that's inconsistent with it, then, uh, um, you know, it's, well, it's, it's very hard to make progress in that kind of thing. And there's also nothing wrong with jumping to trying to solve something else, too. Yeah. I mean, that's, right. Right. that's right. That's right. That's right. Short and life is long, both at the same time. Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. You know, don't go to bed too depressed that the thing that you have done, you know, has been either... You know, may you know others have found it, or it's mm-hmm. not that interesting. Mm-hmm. Why do you do something mm-hmm. else? 
And that's what that's what machines do for us, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Is it allow us to at least have whether it's an actual machine that exists, I guess, is what I'm getting from this conversation mm-hmm. or a theoretical machine that could exist that gives us a new way of having a thought experiment than you mm-hmm. might have had mm-hmm. before. I, I find that really interesting. But talk about thought experiments. This seems like a completely non sequitur, but you and I both have kids. And I, I don't know your kids. And, you know, we don't know each other's kids. But it's, I find it really, I mean, just so, so, so incredible to see, you know, I have two, two kids and they, they learn, they, they How learn differently. I have a 15 year old and a nine year old. Okay. All, all, older than mine. Mine are uh, seven and three. Seven and three. Um, you know, so we've been talking about quantum mechanics. We talked a little bit about high energy physics. We're talking about, you know, there, there is a, there, there are some new thoughts and some of which I, I have thought and could be wrong about, but the more I get to know, for instance, my son, I mean, it's true with my daughter too, but we'll say my nine-year-old son right now for the, for the because they're very different. They are, they're, 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 it's, they're amazing in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're in this sort of formation of intuition and it can, and you may have certain skills, you know, my, my son is very good at, uh, at mathematics and a different type of abstraction than my daughter is. The uh, school would sort of say that you don't ever touch quantum mechanics, even in, you know, even in college, unless you were studying physics, mm. right? Like this is one thing that you know you you never learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I think in in high school chemistry, they told us that you know the electron is not in one place or the other, but it's in some kind of right. mirror, and don't expect to understand that. Right, and don't expect <laughs> to understand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 exactly. Right, right, right. And then you think, well, wait, why isn't that just a fancy way of saying that the electron is in one place and you just don't know where it is? You know, just, uh, I, I, I don't ask that. You know, it, right. it's not, it's not right. to make sense. You know, right. No, I, I, I find I find this often is it, what if you know what if you were very young and quantum mechanics was the norm, mm. right? That's mm. the first learn. You don't learn, you know classical Newtonian physics first. <laughs> you know yeah. you learn quantum yeah. mechanics, then you learn general relativity, and then you yeah. learn yeah. is this a possibility and what would it do? And yeah. yet, how does develop how developmentally do you yeah. find this? Yeah. And is there that, okay, so it's extremely interesting that you ask that because I've been directly testing that question over the yeah. last five months. Uh, so since the COVID lockdown started, uh, you know, and I, I've been home with my kids all day, uh, I decided to um, uh, give my, my seven-year-old uh, daughter, uh, uh, you know, daily lessons in uh, math, CS, and physics. And we're actually recording them and we're hoping to do a project, you know, it would be like a, 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 a cartoon book about them with uh, Zach uh, Wiener Smith, who writes SMBC comics. Right. And so uh, we've, you know, but no, I mean, we, we, you know, we did, uh, you know, uh, Euclidean geometry. We did, uh, you know, Cantor's proof that uh, uh, there are, you know, more uh, real numbers than integers. Uh, we did, um, uh, you know, we did some, you know, Newtonian physics. Uh, we did, you know, at a, at a sort of popular level, you know, we did special relativity, general relativity, uh, quantum mechanics, quantum information. 
right? You know, and, and, you know, I've just viewed it as a challenge of, you know, how much of this can I explain to a seven-year-old, right? Who's, you know, a, uh, uh, um, um, you know, a, you know, a bright seven-year-old, but, you know, a seven-year-old, right? And, um, I think that, you know, much more of it can be explained than, you know, than, than like, you know, a lot of people would, would commonly suppose, right. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, and she will often ask questions that just, you know, cut to the heart of, you know, what we're talking about. Right. Uh, um, you know, she, like, she, she, she asked, uh, uh, um, you know, like how, uh, um, you know, could, can we, can we learn about the big bang by, you know, just like, looking at, you know, you know, is, is there heat that's still left over from the big bang? Right? Oh, wow. So yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, it's a big question. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. So, no, no, I mean, there's all those ask like incredibly penetrating questions, but then like on the other hand, like she still struggles with the multiplication table, right? She still, she, you know, and, and so like, like often, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like, you could say it's like no student I've ever taught because there is so much that I would want to take for granted, you know, like, okay, I would say, okay, quantum mechanics is really simple, right? It's just these vectors of complex numbers. Okay. But you know, if it's a seven-year-old, then, okay, you know, we need to back up for a while. We need to spend a long time on, you know, what is a complex number, you know, what is a vector, right? And so, so I, I, I think that, that, um, you know, it's not, um, uh, I would, I would push back a little, you know, having tested this, I would push back a little bit on the idea that you can just start by teaching someone quantum mechanics and they don't have to learn anything else first. Right. I mean, I think well, even, even to learn quantum mechanics itself, you know, builds on a lot of knowledge, you know, uh, that, that someone, you know, would have to learn that's not quantum mechanics. You know, they, they have to learn some, I mean, for starters, some math, they have to learn what is probability, how do probabilities work? Uh, you know, they have to learn what are complex numbers. They have to uh, uh, learn, you know, let's say, you know, if, if you want to teach them about quantum computers, they have to learn just even how do classical computers work, right? And, you know, so, so, so I think that the prerequisites are, on the one hand, they're a lot less than the physicists, you know, would make it sound like, right? Because they want to sort of, you know, actually apply quantum mechanics to, you know, working out the spectrum of the hydrogen atom, right? And then you have to know, you know, to do it that way, you would have to study like years of classical physics, you know, you'd have to understand Maxwell, you know, electrodynamics, you, you know, you, you, you have to know all that stuff and then you could learn how quantum mechanics changes it. I think that quantum information has given a much faster route into learning quantum mechanics where it could be taught younger, you know, it could be taught to younger people, you know, even like uh, um, high school kids, for example, you know, yeah. you know, even, you know, you know, with enough effort, some of it, the elementary school kids, there are less prerequisites, but the prerequisites are still not zero. Well, what's interesting is what yeah. we're considering to be important prior knowledge changes mm. with time. You know, yeah. you mentioned, you know, multiplication tables are something we'd like our kids to know, and they learn them, and it's mm -hmm. important for an, it's sort of an instinctual understanding of how numbers work together. That's right. But we also have a tool that can just do them for us. We so do. In some way bypass that. As we get new but and still keep the intuition, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe right. helping the intuition of one thing as time changes, 
The bigger question, I guess, is that as we get new tools from a calculator to a classical computer to a quantum computer, what what part do we say, I'm going to start with the intuition of the way the universe works and the way information mm-hmm. works, mm-hmm. and the rest are filling in the blanks of knowledge mm-hmm. of, you know, of, yeah. it's... Well, you know, I mean, I mean, of course, like you know, I, I, I mean, the 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 ordinary school route would be to do, you know, this like immense amount of drilling, right? right of, you know, right. basic arithmetic operations, right? And compared to what school does, I do almost none of that, right? Yeah. Because you know, I I just want the bare minimum for you know, or to be you know comfortable, you know, learning what I would consider a more interesting idea. Right. But, you know, you know, but, you know, but, but, but there is some bare minimum, right? Like if, if, if someone is not comfortable with, you know, how, uh, um, you know, like uh, how, how fractions work and they're, they're going to have a problem with quantum mechanics. Right. It's it's an interesting way for us to constantly check ourselves of what tool that I have. I mean, you're younger, much younger than I am, but if uh, like, you know, what tool that I have, and if I did, if I didn't have that tool, was it worthwhile that I spent this minute much time on that particular skill mm-hmm. and then lost an instinct for that because of it? I, I don't yeah. know. From, from parenting is, I, and I'm not. I, I have no great knowledge of being a great parent. I'm a parent. Yeah. I don't. I may be a lousy. No, 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 I mean, I mean, nor do I. I mean, no, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, the, the thing that will will always surprise me. I wish it didn't surprise me, but that always makes you think is why can my son who is nine years old beat me in chess hmm. quite a bit, even I though hmm. I've been playing chess my whole life. Yeah. And I went, oh. I'm not a chess player. He doesn't usually beat me, I but, he, but can. he can. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So, so, so yeah, I, I've been, I've been playing chess with my daughter. I mean, you know, I, I, she she she, she can she can beat me if I play with a, if I play with some handicap. But I, yeah. right. I can, I can yeah. generally. But if yeah. I'm not, if I if I'm not being too, but there, but definitely, mm-hmm. much 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 better than I was at his age. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's like it's not even mm-hmm. in the same realm yeah. without practicing, really, right? right. So well, this so it's like built a chess intuition, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever that might be. Yeah. I, I don't even know what that is, yeah. and it's it, well, and what, does that apply to? Quantum mechanics does that apply to understanding of our universe in yeah. general? Well, well, I mean, one of the most general patterns I saw is that uh, my my daughter will do you know you know anything that you can reduce to playing a game, right? That you can make into a game, a video game. You know, she will typically you know you know like uh, you know be able to grasp you know much more advanced concepts than you know than you would have thought you know for that age. You know, whereas once it becomes about proving something, you know, stating the general reasons why something is true, you know, then she'll struggle with like what I would have thought was like a, you know, just like the, you know, the most trivial exercise. Right. So it's like, so, so, so you, I really have to adapt the normal way that I would teach, you know, to sort of, um, um, you know, a mind that works differently from, you yeah. know, from maybe, you know, how and how and how an older student's mind would work. Yeah. Right. No, it, so, it's so yeah. 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 Um, I mean, we're really lucky to have that, right? Mm. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's it's really wonderful. To yeah. Have. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I grow so much more, I think, from from being around my kids than they do from me in some regards. And I mean, probably in regards. Uh, yeah, but yeah. 
you know, I, I don't want to take more of your time, Scott. I, I really, though, so much appreciate you coming on and talking to me. And, you know, it was a pleasure. I, I appreciate it, too.